Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk shoes. Hey, Recorded live. <clears throat> hey, Rhett. Yes. Okay, so do me a favor. We're, we're good to go. Do me a favor. Introduce yourself. Let folks know who you are. Tell them about your podcast and stuff like that. Okay, great. Hi. <laughs> oh, my chippies in podcast land. This is Rhett Thompson, host of Black and East Chicks podcast. My podcast is pretty much storytelling my journey through life. Um, my mother's Japanese. My father is African-American. I grew up in the Midwest in the amazing metropolis of Akron, Ohio, in a upper poverty, lower working class neighborhood. My mom wanted to be a black woman, so <laughs> just uh, trying to uh, sort through all of that wonderfulness in my current day life and how it all ties in with my past and moving on to the future. So my my podcast comes out, mm, I would say, I shoot for weekly, put it that way weekly, but it's, uh, my, uh, listeners have told me that they, they enjoy it. So hopefully you all will too. All right. So, um, same question I ask most podcasters that I talk to, uh, how and why did you get into podcast? Uh, well, I am an aspiring stand-up comedian. And for me, I just see the podcast as another platform to get my voice heard. Um, my material that I do on stage is similar to what I do on my podcast. Uh, I have a, a rich uh, gold mine or minefield of topics to talk about and choose from on stage. But I find with the podcast, I'm able to go a little deeper and also go a little broader than I would be uh, from doing, you know, a, a certain set amount of time on stage. On stage, as a stand-up, you know, it, it's almost like a requirement. You need to have the folks laughing every uh, <laughs> 15 to 30 seconds or so. With the podcast, I'm able to get a little bit more emotional and in touch with my feelings. So that's, that was one of the, the key things about, about uh, getting into podcasting. I had a podcast before that I did with a partner. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, we did more topical type of stuff. Um, my partner and I decided to go our separate ways, but I wanted to continue on. So I'm doing my podcast solo, and uh, I would say I, I didn't mean it to go that way, but... As I've grown, the podcast has grown, it's evolved. Um, I, I like where it is now. 
I, I like where it is now, and, and I hope to continue on with it. So since you used to have a podcast partner, uh, not that you may even have a preference, but you've experienced both, doing it alone plus at one time having a partner. Which one do you think you prefer? Do you flourish it? You know, there's for me, there, there's two different sides of this coin. What was great about doing the podcast with a partner, first of all, I had a really great partner. My, my old podcast, still floating out there in uh, podcast land, uh, it was called Brown Skin and Glasses. My partner was Lamont, who was also a, uh, another comic based here in Miami, Florida. What was great was uh, Lamont had a background in, in radio. He had the background in doing podcasts before he had a lot of experience and he had the technical know-how. So for me, it was pretty much just doing my best to prepare for the show and showing up because he handled all of the technical stuff and he did a lot of that uh, administrative juggling. When we split ways, you know, I tell people it was, it's like a divorce in that, you know, we had a really great relationship, but it just didn't, you know, it, it just wasn't meant to be. And I had to start over. I had, I want, I knew I wanted to continue podcasting, but I just didn't have the technical know-how, but this is what the wonder of reading and <laughs> research and the internet coming to play and, and talking to folks and giving advice. Um, initially when I did my solo podcast, the very early episodes of my first year, you know, I was trying to do it the old way because that is what I knew. So trying to cover current events and talk about that and, you know, trying to make it work. But I felt that because I was doing it all on my, my own and I was learning how to do a podcast solo and getting used to the sound of my own voice, I would have to edit. But I'm also, um, you know, I, I, I'm a busy person. I live life. You know, I do stand-up comedy. I'm doing shows. I have a day job. I have a family. So I felt that my lead time, it was, it was not very, <laughs> it was not very timely. So it wasn't working. And I found myself getting discouraged about that. But then I really start analyzing and looking at the feedback from my listeners. You know, what were they getting out of it? What was I getting out of it? What was the main purpose of me doing this in the first place? And then I realized, you know, when I'm on stage, I don't cover a lot of uh, topical material. I do a lot of storytelling. So I figured, well, the podcast would be a great uh, extension of that. So I would say, you know, in terms of working with a partner, it's great because you have that accountability. You can share responsibilities. Um, you can divide and conquer. When you're doing it by yourself, it's you know, you have a lot more on your plate, but at the end of the day, when you have a great product, you can pat yourself on the back and say, you know, I did that. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good feeling. I, I would definitely encourage people to start off with a partner, especially if they're new to podcasting, but to not be afraid to branch off and uh, do it on their own. The worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't work out, so you just go back to the drawing board and, try to see if you can make it work, and if it doesn't, then there's this thing called the delete button, and you can start all over again. Exactly. Hey, so how would you classify yourself? Um, you seem outgoing, and um, seems like, sounds like at least you like to talk. 
So how would you characterize yourself? Are you ballsy, outgoing, talkative? Describe yourself. Oh, let's see. I would say <laughs> I am in a constant state of evolution. <laughs> it's like that chart when you see the, the little the amoeba turning into the fish, turning into the chimpanzee, turning into uh, the Neanderthal, into man. I'm somewhere in uh, somewhere between chimp and Neanderthal. I think somewhere in there. I am. <laughs> I'm not quite a finished product. I tell people I'm a whip. I'm a Work in progress. <laughs> so I'm constantly learning, but I also share what I learn, and I'm not afraid to say that. <laughs> that I'm sharing. I would say um, I I know what it's like to be the outsider. I know what it's like to be that kid looking in into the party, into the restaurant, wanting to be in that crowd. So um, I I would say I I would try to extend my hand out. You know, to those folks that are the outside, I'm very inclusive. Um, so I guess that would be outgoing because I want people to not be afraid to join join the group, join the fold. But at the same time, I'm extremely independent, so I'm not afraid to be a lone wolf and go off on, on my own. I, I guess people tell me, they tell me that I'm a friendly person, <laughs> that I'm friendly and I look happy and uh, it tends to show on my face, but between these ears, there, uh, more often than not, there, there's a storm going on. <laughs> I, I'm wrestling with God, wrestling with myself. <laughs> it's a lot happening there. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to show that either, <laughs> to <Okay>. share. <laughs> Cool. That's cool. So growing up, did you feel like, since you are like a mixture of two races, uh, did you feel, was it hard to fit in with one? Was it hard to fit in with both? Or did you sort of feel like an outcast altogether? How how, how the whole growing up situation go? Well, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and at the time we didn't have that many Asians. Uh, maybe this is one of those things, you know, I don't know if it's the time period or just the area that uh, I grew up in, but everything was very black or white, either black or white. Uh, all the Spanish speakers were called Puerto Rican. All Anyone that looked Asian, everyone was referred to as Chinese. So my mom is Japanese. Uh, people couldn't really tell the difference on that, you know. And, and so, but I grew up in a black neighborhood and in, into a, a black extended family. So I think children... You want to fit in. You do want to fit in. And especially, too, you, you're poor. So I think there's something about being poor as it is anyway. You always want to show people that you have more than you have. You're very self-conscious about yourself uh, economically. You can't do all the things everybody else can do. But then also visually, because you don't look like everyone else, you know, yes, I, I did want to fit in. And I felt like it was important to fit in. And I couldn't understand why I, I didn't feel accepted. Um, my mom, my mom being Japanese, her, her family was still back in Japan. They were not totally accepting of her relationship with my father. And, you know, Japan is a very homogenous country. So, you know, everyone looks alike. So I didn't have a relationship with them. They didn't live over here. We didn't have much communication. They were actually quite angry with my mother for for leaving and having these uh, <laughs> children with, a, with an American, a black American, no less. Um, so, yeah, I, I did feel this pressure, this need, this want to be, to be black. But as I 
as I grew and as I matured or evolved, you know, and came into my myself, my own being, um, I came, you know, not to make it sound like an after-school special, but, you know, I came to understand and accept that it, it's okay to be different. If anything, it's um, something to be celebrated. But I also think that it was very helpful that I live in this present, current time where being of a, I'm a swell, <laughs> tends to be the thing nowadays. So God bless Kim Kardashian and all those people that people don't know if they're Brazilian or not. <laughs> I am finally in. <laughs> all right, so what do you see yourself? I know, do you, how many kids do you have, by the way? Oh, God, no, no, only one. <laughs> one. Okay. Does my mother does my mother count? I mean, she, sometimes I feel like my mother lives with me, so sometimes I feel like she is she is my child. <laughs> she is that Benjamin Button child. She has become my child. But, no, I, I technically have one child that has that come, come out of my womb. Yes, one. Okay, so you got the one child, and is your child, what is your child? Did you have sex with a black dude and kick out a baby or a white dude or what? No, 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 no. My, my, I have a daughter. She's 10 years old. She's currently in the fifth grade, about to go into middle school. Um, yeah, she, she is, well, actually, her father, uh, my husband, uh, is uh, Guyanese-American, like Afro-Guyanese-American. So, so definitely when you look at her, well, if people look at her and they say, wow, that is a black child. <laughs> they, they definitely know she's white, but um, because, you know, she's very, um, she's very brown skin, but she has my eyes, so they're, little, they're, they're more almond-shaped than most, and then her hair is, is long, but it's still kind of, um, it, it definitely has, it leans more toward the kinkier texture. You know, people know that there's something, something is in the background of that kid. But when you look at her, you can tell that she's, she's either black or she's maybe, like, Afro-Latino Afro or something like that. I live in Miami, so there's a little bit of that going on everywhere. So, yeah, they think of her as black. Okay. So since you, you're into comedy now, how long have you been into, into comedy? That's number one. And did you sort of use it as a way to, I don't know, sort of a laughter instead of crying type situation to escape, escape maybe some of the things you were dealing with or has humor been that for you throughout your life or how'd you get into comedy? Well, you know, as a child, you know, being poor, we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have cable until I got into middle school. So to entertain my, my sister, I would have to tell her stories, bedtime stories, and she would want me to tell the same ones over and over again. And after a while, we'd get tired of telling Goldilocks and the Three Bears, so I would bury it up and change it up just to be obnoxious. And then she would start to request those changes. So all through my life, um, I've been a storyteller. I, I was never the class clown. If anything, I was the nerd. I was a very bookish, um, very academically smart. Um, I loved to write. Uh, I loved to read. And just as, you know, people would ask me, you know, who are, like, what are you, what are your background, what, you know, I know what they're getting at. They want to know why does my face look, why does my face and my hair look the way they do? And I would end up telling them stories about my background and stories about growing up where I did. And it, I guess it just evolved. It just continually evolved. Um, there was a time that I did have a, a life in New York. And 
my focus at the time was in production, um, like, like television production, and I wanted to go into writing, that sort of thing. But well, the first time I went to one of these conferences, uh, you know, they tried to get women into into more powerful careers within TV. I ran into a woman who told me that until well, she was middle aged, middle aged white woman from Long Island. And she said that for the majority of her life, she had been a housewife, but she had taken this comedy class and she started doing stand up. and she had been in these festivals and she was starting to do her thing. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that they had classes with this type of thing. I always enjoyed stand-up comedy. I didn't know that that was the option of something that I would be able to do. So I took these courses, and um, once I got over my stage fright and the nervousness and the jitters, I realized, you know, this is this is where I belong. This is there's no other thing like doing stand-up. I mean, it's great to write a script, or write a play, or write a sketch, but there's nothing like uh, taking these ideas and these thoughts and, uh, you know, I guess the pain and suffering <laughs> from, from way back when um, and, and turning them into, uh, into the funny. So uh, I've been doing stand-up for quite a while. I tell people, like, consistently, I, I would say um, I've been doing stand-up probably, um, I want to say, I, I tell people seven years because there was a time where I did take a break in between uh, doing stand-up. Um, had to take an involuntary hiatus when my daughter was born and she was a toddler and all that. So about five years, the first five years of my daughter's life, I did not do stand-up. So I would say, you know, collectively, I, I say seven years. Seven seems to be the magic number. And where I am now is definitely not where I was when I, I first started. Again, you know, the, the evolution the evolution of rest. That's where I'm at on, on this stand-up chart. Okay. Gotcha. I appreciate that. So let me say this. I listened to a little of your podcast. I listened to the beginning, and, you know, you came in with the intro music, kind of funky, nice. And, of course, you came in with your personality and everything you're pretty much displaying today, which is, you know, infectious uh, to people who love people who can sort of draw you in with the voice or storytelling and with the personality. So that you do have, you draw people in and at least with me, I can't speak for anyone else. You, you draw them in, you make them want to listen to what you're saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, then you go on with your storytelling and what, what went on throughout the day and blah, blah, blah. And one thing I noticed about you is even with this conversation is that you love to laugh, which is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and, and even in your podcast, I don't know if anyone's ever commented or written anything about your laughing within your podcast, but I was like, she really has a distinctive laugh that could be either infectious or annoying, just depending on the individual. <laughs> which is great. That is great because that definitely is a reflection of me. Uh, in terms of the podcast, in terms of my stand-up, in terms of my material, um, I want people to either love it or hate it. You know, I, I there was a time, you know, when I first started doing stand-up, and I would say even, you know, when I first started doing my own podcast, that 
you know, there's this idea of like, oh my God, I want everybody to love it, and I want to be popular, and I want to make money, and I want to, I, I want to be mainstream enough that I'm able to to be on mainstream television and all this type of stuff. But then I realized you can't please everyone, and I unfortunately am one of those people that I have this dire need to be true to myself, even even if it is polarizing. So, so, so it's, it's pretty much what you see is what you get. So hopefully, I'm hoping that if I just have enough people who like it, that will that's what will will keep me going. I, I compare it to my analogy of of comedy. When people ask me questions about stand up and the types of comedy and uh, where do I want to go in my career, I tell them, you know, to me, uh, stand up or comedy or art or podcast is like a buffet. Like I'm a big buffet eater. I love going to a buffet. I know that when I go to the buffet, there's certain things that I'm always going to get. I'm always going to get the spinach salad. I'm going to get the fried okra. I'm going to get the yeast buns, if you're familiar with Golden Corral. But every time I go to the buffet, I see that they have carrot and raisin salad. And I always ask myself, who the hell is eating this? Like, I've never had it, but the whole idea of it grosses me out. But there's enough people out there that like carrot and raisin salad that it stays on the buffet week after week after week. So I tell people... My career, my material, my, my podcast is like that carrot and raisin salad. It's not going to be for everyone. But the people that are going to try it, they're going to like it, and they're going to love it, and they're going to want it all the time. So uh, I guess that would tie in with my laugh, off, my laugh also. <laughs> cool. All right, so let's um, play into the stereotypes real quick because you do it a little in your podcast. I heard your imitation of your mom and different. Not, does she really talk like that? First of all, actually, my mom has a heavier accent. If I spoke exactly like my mom, no one would understand what the hell is going on. <laughs> my mom has lived in this country for several decades, but she moved over here when she was like pushing forty. Like, she was about 40 when she moved here. So by that time, you've already developed your, you know, your cadence, your accent, your whatever. And for her to switch over into learning English and then on top of that learning Ebonic and then on top of that learning uh, Midwest, Akron, you know, black people from Akron, their, their folks, their peoples usually came from the deep south. So... You know, the people, the folks in the Midwest, usually it's like a, a southern twang, but then it's flat, and then coupled with that. No one understands what the hell my mother is saying. Like, even to this day, I generally have to interpret things for my mom, <laughs> even though she's speaking English. So, so, yeah, if anything, I cleaned it up. I cleaned it up for the public. Okay. All right, so like I said, playing up on the stereotypes, let's do this. And I don't know much about Asian food, but let's just say, all right, since you're half and half, what would you prefer, a watermelon or papaya? Uh, I would say watermelon because, you know, growing up in Akron, you know, my mom, she didn't really have any other Japanese people to, to communicate with. And because we were poor, we could not go to the next metropolitan city that had 
uh, like Asian markets and things like that when I was growing up. So we couldn't just go pop over to Cleveland to buy stuff. So my mom, you know, she definitely had the attitude of when in Rome do as the Romans do. So my mom's diet was like a black woman living on the southeast side of Akron. Um, so my mom, you know, growing up, she would make and eat pig feet, chitlins, greens, uh, barbecue, fried chicken, all of that. And her diet was such a mess that um, actually when we moved here uh, to Miami, um, I, I would say I, I started noticing she was going to the doctor a lot. And I couldn't understand. I was trying to be uh, respectful of her privacy. But I was like, why is she going? And luckily for me, I'm on my mother's HIPAA form. So I get access to her personal records. So they had to tell me what was going on. The, the doctor's office had to give me her records. And I looked at it, and, and they actually thought that my mom had a, uh, there was a danger that my mom was developing pancreatic cancer, which hit a large, like a disproportionate number of African-Americans. And when I looked at her chart, you know, it describes her, you know, her name, her, her sex, you know, her gender, she's a female. Race, it's an African-American. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> when you look at my mom, she's five foot. She clearly looks like someone who is not black. <laughs> she's got the straight hair, even though she dyes it in that weird burgundy color that old black women tend to dye their hair. But, you know, her diet is so jacked up. This they thought she was a black woman. So yeah, watermelon. I don't think I even ate papaya until I um until I moved to New York and I was uh I was already in grad school by then. Okay. Uh I, I think we already know the answer to this based on what you said about your mom and what she cooked growing up, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Fried chicken and potato salad or Asian chicken over white rice? Yeah, I mean the white rice, yeah, we ate white rice like some people eat uh Air. I guess we got you know, white rice is, uh, you know, but my mom's very particular. She, especially, well, growing up, my mom would only eat Japanese rice. So that was one of the few times that we would get somebody who had a couple of dollars who was going to run to Cleveland to buy like a 40 or 80 pound bag of rice. And, and we, would, we would knock that out because we were eating rice almost every day. But the Asian chicken, you know, my mom will say, you know, like Japanese people, you know, their thing with chicken, that's only like a recent thing. Like she didn't eat chicken growing up. If anything, growing up, she ate a lot of fish, a lot of, uh, you know, you know, Japan is uh, a collection of islands, so it's very much seafood. And uh, the seafood that she grew up with is not nothing that was available in the markets that we were growing up. So... The seafood we were eating would be like catfish, and that's because, you know, somebody's friend's uncle went to a lake and, you know, caught some type of thing. So, yeah, it was definitely very Americanized, very black American soul food, as my mom would say. The soul food! <laughs> that's what we were eating growing up. Okay. Uh, malt liquor, Billy D or uh, Corona? Uh, my mom was not a big drinker growing up. You know, so basically she drank whatever people were drinking. So, you know, for her, it's Budweiser. That's more like a, a Midwest you know, type of thing. Uh, so Budweiser. Uh, yeah, malt liquor. I think I dabbled in malt liquor when I was in college because everybody was doing it. You know, even though it tasted like crap. <laughs> you follow the trends, you know, you do as the Romans do. 
So, and then Corona, I'm like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll do it if it's like a party and there's nothing else to drink. But me, myself, uh, I, I, I usually go for Bud Light if I'm going to a comedy show just because I need to have my head real, relatively clear. But if I really want to let loose, then and I'm, um, I don't have any pressure to perform or anything, I'll do Jameson and Zinzoil. I bet. Uh, Kool-Aid or sweet tea? Mm, growing up Kool-Aid all the way. Kool-Aid in that, that, uh, that uh, can, and you'd scoop it out. But the problem is my mom, you know, uh, you know, she did not at the time have a thing for sugar. So my friends would come over to complain, like, if she if we made the Kool-Aid that was from the can, it would be okay. But if it was with those little packets and you would have to add the sugar, my friends would complain that it was the most bitterest, hardest Kool-Aid ever because my mom did not believe in adding a lot of sugar to the Kool-Aid. So I would say, I don't know if there's such a thing of having dry Kool-Aid like the way have they have dry white wine, but that's what we were drinking growing up. Only uh, since I moved to Miami have I gotten this uh, affinity for sweet tea. And even then I try to pull back a little bit, try to mix it up with unsweet because I don't want my, my teeth to rot out. I straight. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just about out. Is there, is there anything else you want to toss out there about your podcast? Maybe let me ask you this. What I'm going to do is critique it, not now, but within the show I'm going to critique sure. it. I'm going to talk about what I like and what I hate. I'm, I'm going to feature like four different podcasts. You want So yours will be one of four that I talk about what I like about the podcast and what I hate about the podcast. And it's often hard to get people to admit what they hate, if anything, about their own podcast. But what I'm going to do right now, I want to find out from you, a, what you like about it, and then B, what you hate about it. First of all, give me the likes about your podcast. What do you like about it? The thing that I like about my podcast is, number one, it's constantly evolving. I like where it is right now in terms of more focused on storytelling. I like that I, I tend to outline what I want to say in the podcast, and then it just rolls, it just rolls and flows. So now it's very minimal editing. Um, what you hear is 98% of what I initially said. You know, I might take out some ums and ahs and that sort of thing, but it's pretty much what you're hearing is what you're getting. And I love that the feedback I've gotten from the listeners is that, you know, that it's touched them. They touch them and it's inspired them and it's motivated them. And that makes me feel good because I don't know if that's what I initially thought of doing when I first did the podcast. I just wanted my voice heard. But it feels good to affect people in a positive way. What I hate about my podcast, and hate was a very strong word to me. Um, what I, so I would say, instead of hate, I would say things that I would like to work on. Um, I would definitely like to be more consistent with my podcast. And I think uh, in terms of releasing the podcast. And part of that is just that life in general, uh, for the most part, over off and off, for these past two years, has been kicking me in the wazoo. So sometimes life gets in the way. But for me, it's just trying to figure out a better, a better workflow with that. Uh, another thing is to make sure that, uh, like little technical things like, uh, like sound consistency. And also, if I had more time, 
and maybe a little more resources. I would like to break it up a little bit more with music. And I feel like, you know, as an artist, you know, this is something that's part of the evolution of it. I know that basically when listeners tune into my podcast, that is basically that I am a solo voice. I am a voice of one. And sometimes that, that can be tough without, you know, you're hearing a solid block of a voice. So the, the episodes that I've gotten more positive feedback on are the ones that have been broken up with maybe music and interludes and that sort of thing. So um, I want to experiment more with that in, in the next, um, in, in the coming time. Yeah, very, very interesting point and very um, observant of you and intuitive of you to pick up on those things that your listeners are saying and just on your own because, yeah, I agree. Uh, and what, one thing I do like about it, I'm going to mention this in my critique of your podcast coming up Sunday, uh, one thing I like about your show, the episode I listened to was only like 30 minutes long, and I'm an advocate for podcasting, but I'm a definite advocate for short podcasting. I hate long podcasts. A lot of people who get into podcasting for some reason. Um, think that they have to go at least an hour, which isn't true. If you have an hour's worth of stuff to talk about, okay, fine. I'm not going to listen to the whole hour, but for people who have the time or desire to do it, fine, they'll listen to it. 30 minutes is perfect for me, a dude like me. Oh, that's great. You will see, that's the thing. It's like, you know, um, because I'm coming from, I'm approaching the podcast, or I should say, I approach my podcast the way I approach my stand-up comedy. You know, once I go, got over the idea of, oh, I have to appeal to everyone, I told myself, you know, just like my comedy, what I do now is so different from what I did seven or eight years ago. So just let it naturally evolve. And what works, we're going to keep. What doesn't work, we'll either we'll put it on the shelf for later or just chuck it all the way. You know, just like material. Like sometimes you think in your head you have this perfect joke, this perfect setup, and you go up there, and it totally falls on its face. So you're like, you know what, I'm either going to rework it or I'm going to get rid of it. So that's the same way as I approach the podcast. Like me, myself, you know, I've had, um, and also, too, in terms of length, um, I I, I always have the voice of Mrs. White, my AP, my high school AP English teacher. Uh, I have her voice in my head when she uh, would talk about essays. And she would tell us an essay should be like a pretty girl's skirt. It should be um, long enough to cover what's necessary and short enough to be interesting. So that's how I approach my podcast. I try not to push it over an hour. Sometimes all I got to say is a half hour's worth, and sometimes what I got to say, I don't realize how much time has passed. But for whatever reason, it's pushing that that one-hour mark. So, um, you know, again, it's one of those things like – I'll just see what happens in terms of consistency of length. Um, but, yeah, I, I do try to shoot between half hour and one hour. But I am my own worst critic, uh, for better or for worse. But I know at the end of the day, uh, the folks that really determine that is, you know, that dynamic between me and, and my audience. So hopefully, we, hopefully, just like any relationship, we're both getting something good out of it and we'll continue to grow with that. Yeah, exactly. I think you you need to be in tune that way in relationships and just in general. You have to be in tune with what your listeners want to hear as best you can uh, on your own as far as evaluating that and also comfortability with yourself. It's like 
you said, if you have 30 minutes worth of stuff to talk about or an hour's worth, it's just going to flow, and it's going to be what it is. It's going to evolve and just go naturally into what it's going to be. And I, I think that comes over time with anything, with comedy, with whatever you're doing. You become comfortable with yourself, and you somewhat of a, at least I have, established the attitude that, yo, this is it. It is what it is. Either you're going to like it or you're going to hate it, you're going to listen or you're not, but this is it. Yeah, no, that, that is an excellent point. Those are excellent points, definitely. Okay, well, I appreciate your time. Do me a favor, if you don't mind. Um, I just need a quick promo. You can introduce yourself. You can toss out any social network and information you want to toss out, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever. And then end it with um, the Play Hater Podcast, something like that. I'm listening to the Play Hater Podcast, so however you want to do it. So should I say I'm listening to Mr. Player Hater or I'm listening to Player oh, Hater? Yeah, either way you want to do it is fine. I'm Mr. Player Hater. Um, but, yeah, just introduce yourself, toss out social media, and then tag it with the end. Okay, so I'm basically introducing myself, the podcast, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, and then I'm listening to the Player Hater podcast? Like, how do you want me to phrase it? Yeah, you can you can phrase it that way and, and tag it with the And I'm listening to the Player Hater podcast. So. Oh, okay. 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 Sounds good. Let me know if, uh, <laughs> and I have no problem if you need me to redo it. I have no problem with that. All right. Oh, so no, just no, let no, me know you whenever you're ready. Now, you've been great with everything up to this point. I, I think you can handle that. That's not a lot to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of faith in me. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have more faith in you. I think you can pull this off. No, no, no problems whatsoever. So, yeah, anytime you're ready. Okay. All right. All right. So, Hello, all my chippies and podcast land. This is Rhett Thompson, host of Black and Me's Chick Podcast. You can find it anywhere where podcasts are found, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, SoundCloud. Hit me up on social media, at Black and Me's Pod, B-L-A-C-K-A-N-E-S-E-P-O-D. Also email, blackandmeespod at gmail.com. I am also on Instagram, at the shirt. C-H-E-S-K-I-R-C, and Facebook, and all that good stuff. If you really, 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 really need to hit me, hit me at Rhett Thompson on Twitter, R-H-E-T-T-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. And I am listening to the Player Hater Podcast. I'm sorry. I should have read the last part. The Player Hater Podcast. Just the last part, the Player Hater Podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. Player Hater Podcast, not the. It's Player Hater Podcast. Yeah, it's the Player Hater Podcast, Player Hater Podcast. I'm not not picky about it. Either one is fine. Yeah, but I want to do it the way, you know, like, the name of your podcast is the name of your podcast. So if I'm putting in a bug where it doesn't belong, like, you know, I want to I want to make sure that it's right. So you it's your podcast, man. The, wait, I'm sorry, because my, my, um, um, my phone is cutting out. So it's Player Hater Podcast or The Player Hater Podcast? Yes, yeah, The Player Hater Podcast. Okay, okay. So I should say I am listening to The Player Hater Podcast. Uh-huh, that would be perfect. Okay, so I'm going to do just the last part? Yeah, just the last so part. Wanna... Get it together. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, sounds good. All right, so I'm going to do this now. I am listening to the Player Hater Podcast. Okay, give me one more and just sort of lead into it with and, just as a tag thing, just so I can sort of attach it to the end of what you said. Oh. You say, and I am listening to the Player Hater Podcast, just like you did. That's perfect. Uh, okay, no problem. And I am listening to the Player Hater Podcast.
Yep, that's perfect. And I'll just piece it together, and I appreciate your time greatly. No problem. Just let me know, like, you know, when it gets released and all of that so I can promote it as well. And, uh, you know, if you have a link to it, because then I'll post it on, like, social media and all that jazz. And, uh, yeah, we'll do that. Whether, okay. And I have no problem with any kind of critiques. Because, like I said, you know, like, it's, you know, it's it's flattering to be critiqued at all. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how <laughs> lovely or painful it could be, you know, <laughs> it's going to be out there. So, um, so yeah, I have, I have no problem with that. No, nah, it's all good. I appreciate you taking out time. And, yeah, I'll um, send you a link to everything. It's going to be released on Sunday morning, and, yeah, I'll, I'll attach it to your Twitter. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you too, Rhett. All right. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.